Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes Show is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with a G. Also, don't forget to check out DC and RC featuring UFC legend Daniel Cormier and Super Bowl champion and friend of mine, Ryan Clark, both Louisiana natives, as they hang out and kick around the hottest topics from across the world of MMA and preview and review, the most important fight cards and storylines. Plus, 30 for 30 is back with Breakaway, a film about WNBA superstar and activist Maya Moore. It explores Moore's story. She's one of the best basketball players in the world and how she stepped away from the sport for a remarkable reason, to fight for a man she believed was wrongly imprisoned. Stream it now on ESPN+. Back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks Daniel Jones being at the bottom of a dog pile doesn't sound that bad. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, I am truly pleased today to be joined by a first-time guest. Yes, I've wanted to have on this show for quite some time, but schedules just worked out this week. Uh, I just could not be more excited to have Matt Bowen. Matt, I cannot believe you've never been on my show before. I am so happy to have you. Well, I'm glad to be on, Mina. Thanks for the invite. So uh, for those who don't know, Matt writes, he's an insider, writes for ESPN.com. He's one of the hosts of NFL Matchup, which returns on Saturdays starting week one. And you're like, really like one of the smartest NFL minds on planet Earth and certainly at ESPN. <laughs> and um, you're perfect to preview the division we're talking about this week, the NFC North. I pushed it off to the end because uh, I wanted to see Aaron Rodgers thing played out right. and I kind of had a feeling how it would play out. And I'm glad I did because now there's some resolution, although, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about that, but another division, Matt, that I pushed back because for a million reasons, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be the last division I cover is the AFC South. And I, I'm glad I've been pushing it back because a team that I thought, you know, I could talk about sooner, but it turns out there's a lot up in the air is Indianapolis. Um, so just over the last two days alone, you've got, it's hard to even characterize these injuries. You've got both Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson suffering the same foot injury with the same timeline, which is five to 12 weeks. Uh, so both players could be back either like week one to two or later in the season. I am not a, a foot doctor or any kind of doctor, so I'm not comfortable making a prognostication. But I think in the case of Wentz in particular, but really both of these players, it, it impacts what the Colts are going to do at, at the quarterback position. You got Seattle week one, and Matt, they have to decide, are we going to roll with Jacob Eason, fourth-round draft pick, last with Washington? I could talk about what I think about him. Or... Do they want to make a trade for a Nick Foles who has made it very clear that he would like to be traded to Indianapolis without saying right. much, or like a Marcus Mariota? So let's start there. Like at the quarterback position, if you're Indianapolis, and I realize this is really hard to say without knowing, you know, the timeline, would you consider making a trade or would you just roll with Eason and ha- hope that he can, I don't know, do something before Wentz gets back? I would probably roll with Easton at first, okay, because he invested draft capital in last year. Like you said, he's a fourth-round pick. He does have traits. I mean, he's got pro size. He is a pocket thrower. He's got the arm talent to attack all three levels of the field. Now, we haven't seen him do it against pro competition, right? But I think if Easton is the guy, and I'm not comparing these two quarterbacks, 
mean. I'm not comparing Jacob Beeson to Phillip Rivers. But stylistically, I think the offense will look like it did last year because you're going to have a pocket thrower. Now, obviously, Rivers could see things before the snap of the football. He was excellent post-snap, accurate thrower with ball location. Again, we don't know that about Eason, but in terms of style of offense, run heavy, more play action, more leveled reads. You're going to have to define it for him early. At the end of the day, he's still going to have to do what every quarter, every successful quarterback in the NFL does. You're going to have to read it out from the pocket, go through multiple progressions, win on third downs, and be a dropback thrower at times. Because, you know, look, I get in this habit too, I mean, especially during the draft process. We talk about these young quarterbacks and how the league is becoming more about defined reads and defined throws, and that's great. But eventually that quarterback has to go through his progressions, one, two, and three. How fast can he get from one, two, and three and do it from the pocket? or use that ability to escape and extend and get outside of the pocket. But you can't define it all the time. And that's what we don't just don't know about Jacob Beeson. Now, one player I would mention, and I know this is probably never going to happen because he played in the division, but I would take a look mm. at Minshew. I'd at least make a call. Yeah. I'd at least make a call. At worst, they can just hang up on you and say, no way. But, I, you know, I've always said with Minshew, um, he's got the movement traits. I think he's an aggressive thrower. Uh, we saw him play and we evaluated him with a bottom tier roster in Jacksonville. So I still think there's a higher ceiling ceiling for Minshew in the NFL. Uh, but again, if you're Jacksonville, you're really going to trade him within the division and help out a division team. I don't think that's possible. Yeah. Th- I, I think the Minshew thing is kind of a non-starter and with Eason, I mean, you talked about, you know, at some point in the National Football League, you're going to have to go through your progressions. I mean, that's just was not something he really did at Washington. Very RPO heavy offense. Like you mentioned, he's incredibly toolsy. And I think I would feel better about him starting if he was like a really plus athlete, like a raw, like he's got the Josh Allen arm without the Josh Allen legs in some ways, you know? Right. And and we've seen, Matt, you and I have talked about this, like quote unquote toolsy quarterbacks who have come in, the NFL and been able to survive the development curve because they've been able to check it down to their legs. And I don't know if he can do that. I mean, he can move, but he's not even Herbert or Allen. And so it's concerning. And it's especially concerning because now half of the offensive line is uh, open I to know. question. And that would, that like when you looked at the Colts, if they had a healthy line, you'd say, well, this is still a very good situation for a quarterback, right? One of the best offensive lines of football. But now um, you've got question marks, not only at the center and left tackle position where you're waiting for Eric Fisher to come back and you're counting on like Sam Tevy or Julian Downward to hold yeah. it down, but you lose the best left guard in football. A left guard who, again, like there was hope. Okay, well, yeah, there's some question marks at left tackle until Fisher comes back, but we got Quentin Nelson. Well, if you don't have Quentin Nelson, suddenly the tower kind of comes crumbling down. And so like, ah, I wish I had a more hopeful scenario for Indy, and I, I guess the hopeful scenario is that either Nelson or Wentz comes back sooner, but it's like, I think you and I could have had a conversation, okay, well, here's how you survive without Wentz, but if you take Nelson out too, I don't know, man, that's a tough schedule. You got Seattle, you got Tennessee, uh, you know, early on, I believe Miami, like, it's just, it's going to be really hard for them. I, I feel like they're going to have to be playing catch-up to Tennessee at, halfway through the season. Yeah, I agree, man. You're losing two of the key players to your offense. The two players you really can't lose. You know, wide receivers, You, you, on an NFL roster, you have depth behind the wide receiver position. You can scheme guys open in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But you lose your starting quarterback, who you traded for, who has the physical traits to move outside the pocket and inside the pocket. And you lose the, one of the best offensive linemen in football. 
So now it, it only it not only affects your pass game, it affects your run game as well and your ability to move the football consistently. So with those two key injuries, and you mentioned the schedule to start the season, they're going to have to grind out football games. That's what they're going to have to do. They have to grind out football games. They're going to have their defense going to have to play at an exceptionally high level. They're going to have to win consistently on special teams as well to stay in these football games. And if it is, it is easy, put the young quarterback in a position where you can define it enough for him and put him in a position where you can read it out late in a football game and make a play for you. Well, I will be digging into this team in a couple of weeks with Field Yates a little bit deeper and, in, in, you know, I'm sure we'll have more clarity then on both the injuries and what they do at quarterback. But today we are here to talk about the NFC North. And as I was going through this division, I was really excited, Matt, to have you on in particular because I find the defenses really interesting in this division. Mm -hmm. And like, we're I, I want to start with Green Bay, which is okay. deservedly the favorite. I think the Green Bay defense is so much more interesting to talk about than the Green Bay offense. And we'll, we'll talk about the Green Bay offense. Spoiler alert, they'll be good. They're great. Like, I don't have many questions about the Green Bay offense. Yeah, the offensive line, we'll talk about that. But the defense I find fascinating because as I was looking, you know, just ha had this depth chart in front of me and I'm looking at the personnel and I, and I see, you know, names like your Kenny Clarks and your Smiths and your Sean Gary, who I view as rising. And even the linebackers were better and Savage and Alexander and Amos. And I'm like, damn, there's so much talent on this side of the ball. Why are they so consistently below average year to year? And I want to ask you if you feel like, so that this is a switch from Mike Pettin to Joe Barry. If you feel like, this is a team where scheme and coaching have let the, let the talent down on defense. And if that's the case, what they might do to improve on that side of the football. Well, I think what Joe Barry is going to do is going to be more alignment, assignment, fundamentals, and communication. Because I think you have to be. When you have that level of talent, Mina, it's not so much about trying to create pressure or create scheme. Uh, it's using your players in specific matchups. Uh, using someone like Zadarius Smith in multiple positions in the defensive line. And we've seen that in the past from Green Bay. But more importantly, the secondary on the same page. Mm. Alignment assignment. The post-snap communication in the National Football League in the secondary is so vital to your success. We've seen it before with the man-heavy teams, you know, going back a couple of years with New England, what they were able to do post-snap. I think you have to see that more from Green Bay this year. The question I have, will they be a little bit more man-heavy, Mina? Because really? they, because they mm. weren't more man-heavy in the past. They're more of a zone-based team. A lot of split safety coverages, play some cover three as well. But, you know, I'm looking at this roster right now just like you are, and you draft Eric Stokes in the first round, who's got man traits and recovery speed down the field. I think Alexander's a top-five corner in the league. I really believe that. Ultra-competitive, has man coverage traits, can close in the football, has a short area of speed to make plays in the football. Savage at safety, he can play in strong, he can play in the post, he can cover down the slot. And Adrian Amos is your classic veteran safety who can tackle in the run game, alignment assignment guy, doesn't get beat over the top, understands where leverage plays, understands where his help is on defense, a leader of a secondary that can help some younger players around him. I think their secondary can ascend this year under Joe Barry if they are more assignments out, use the communication, but also if we start to see a little bit more man coverage. Now, understand this, Mina. You know, I'm talking about a different division here, but Jalen Ramsey goes to L.A. last year. And obviously, mm. we both know L.A. is more of a man-heavy defense. They were last year under Brandon State. But there's ways in man coverage where you can lock your backside corner and play zones to the front side. 
there's ways to do that in the NFL. I call it four lock coverage or three lock coverage. So you're playing zone to one side of the field. You're taking Jalen Ramsey, or in this case, maybe an Alexander, and locking them up on the backside X. That allows you to use the traits of your high-level players while also keeping your defense sound to the front side of the formation. So you could see more of that. Um, up front with them, I agree with you on Gary. He's an ascending player. There's no question about it. And he has the traits of a top 15 pick. We know that. I love Zadaria Smith because he is multiple in terms of his game. You can put him as a stand-up defensive tackle. You can line him as a stand-up one-technique nose. He can win off the end with speed to power and counter moves. The one player has to get going this year is Preston Smith. He has to get going this year. I thought he took a step back last year. He has to play at a higher level because that gives him three rushers with multiple mm -hmm. traits that can go on the defensive front. Yeah, and again, it's just like, man, you're, you're naming all these guys, and I'm like, there's so much pass rush and coverage talent on this team. It almost doesn't matter that linebacker has been, you know, a weakness. And you see teams like the Rams where linebacker was a weakness, and it doesn't matter, right, it, because of scheme mm -hmm. and um, because of the talent behind them. And the Packers are interesting in that they they play a ton of dime. Actually, um, yes. led the league in dime last season. And then you look at, you named all the guys. And then of course you also got Chandon Sullivan, Kevin King obviously ended on such a horrible note last year, but he is capable. Like right. he was better the year before. So you have Barry, he's coming in and he's got like these incredible pieces to work with. And I, I, I I'm with you. I think it's so much of it is more about communication and execution. Um, I understand why Petten had to go and I will be curious as you pointed out, suggested they, if they play a little bit more man and, and mix it up. But it does feel like just like a defense that has not gotten the best out of the players available to them by any means. And if they do get better out of them, if they were to go from being, I don't know, in that 15 to 20 range, which is kind of where they've consistently been, to 10 to 15, which is where they should be, they should go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Bucks because on offense, Matt, like, the only, I guess, concern – I have two po possible pitfalls. One okay. is Aaron Rodgers' regression. Aaron Rodgers, I realize we're, we're now – we're talking about him rightfully as the MVP, but he is coming off of prior seasons where he was – he had a bit of decline and then all of a sudden came back and had this you know incredible MVP season. And then the other thing is the offensive line, and that's kind of where I want to start. I, I mean, to me, that's the only real question mark on this D offense. Um we don't know the status of David Bakhtiari. If David Bakhtiari is healthy, the, I believe the Packers are in the Super Bowl. So he's coming back from a torn ACL, which mm -hmm. he tore at the very, very end of the year. Don't really know what his status is for the opener. Um, and then you've got Billy Turner returning to the right side, which is good. But on the interior, there's some questions, right? Like, you know, Jenkins, obviously, slam dunk draft pick. Is yep. he playing center? Is he playing guard? They drafted Josh Myers. Can he come in and start right away for Corey Lindsley? Like, you know, this is a unit, a group that I think we've really taken for granted as being incredibly good at developing players and, and incredibly just talented, a top three offensive line. But suddenly, you know, I, I could see a universe where they take a step back. Well, you could see that. And now, one thing I'll mention up front, you mentioned Bakhtiar. If he's back healthy, let's say playing at the level we know he can play at by midseason. Uh, then I'm with you on this football team that they can compete with anyone in the NFC uh, because of the defense we talked about, because of Rodgers and the defined throws in that offense. But I will say this, you are betting a lot in the rookie, but if Myers can play and he can play at center, 
or can play at guard. That obviously adds depth. That obviously adds a key piece to your offensive front. And I'll mention this. When you have an offensive line, especially interior, um, that's going to take time to build some chemistry. Use more play action. More play action protection. Mm -hmm. Get guys moving the defensive line, moving lateral to the line of scrimmage. Get them on the move where you can lock up on them and slide your feet and create a pocket for Aaron Rodgers. Because one thing about Rodgers, and I've said this before, Rodgers, there's only a handful of guys that will say this about in the NFL. He's a scheme-transcendent quarterback, meaning you can put him in any system possible and he can function and produce pretty much immediately. The key about Rodgers, in my opinion, his growth last year with, with Matt LaFleur in that offense was that he mastered the defiant throws, mastered them, that he threw with timing and rhythm yeah. and delivered the ball with location. On top of that, Aaron Rodgers can take the one-on-ones, especially to Devontae Adams, whenever he wants, because, again, he can win with location. And the third part of that is when he does have to play outside of scheme, when necessary, which he didn't do a bunch of last year, Mito. He didn't do a ton of it as compared to years past. Played more within the structure of the offense, in my opinion. But he still gives you that edge when plays do go south or you do take away his first and secondary read and he can't get back to the third read in time. Now he can improvise and use that elite second reaction ability, which he still has as a thrower and as a runner. He can still pick up the sticks with his legs. So yeah. that with that offense, and, and what about this, Mina? Now we know they brought Randall Cobb in, but Amari Rodgers. And oh. we did Amari Rodgers in our draft show for NFL matchup, and we called him a motion movement player. I kind of think that's where the league is going. Everyone wants to replicate successful teams, right? Well, everyone wants a Tyreek Hill. And again, we're not comparing specific traits here. We're comparing offensive roles. And with Amari Rodgers, that gives them another matchup piece within that scheme. Pre and post snap movement, fly sweep screens, align them in the backfield, release them from the backfield, align them in the slot. He's physical after the catch. He's got lower body strength. That's just another weapon for them to build out with that offense that already uses a ton of pre and post snap movement. Yeah, I mean, he can do kind of the stuff that Tyler Irvin did, but better, basically. And my only concern with the... Well, that's I guess the role he's going to play, right? Yeah, that's 100%. Well, that's why I, the cop thing kind of concerned me because I was like, wait, I don't want him taking reps from Mari Rogers. That was like a flawless draft pick. And I think he might not because he's got that toe injury. So we'll see how that mm -hmm. shakes out. Not that Randall Cobb is not totally, you know, he does bring some utility to the offense, but um, you, what you said about Rodgers, I think is just so well said because like, it really is that what you saw last year was like the dream manifestation of the Kyle, Sh the Shanahan offense. What, why the right. Niners drafted Trey Lance, which is you, you want a quarterback who will not only play within the structure of it. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers had the lowest, I think second lowest actually tight window throw rate in the league last year. That's because dudes were wide open, not because, you know, uh, he was not trusting his receivers. And, and he, in fact, he fully leaned into the offense and trusted it. And then you have that extra cherry on top. Oh, right. He can also make plays outside of structure and he can mm -hmm. make those difficult throws when he has to. And that's why I'm not terribly worried about um, regression because I think the MVP season came from that buy-in. Um, and yeah, I think like, Shoot, I mean, so one thing that did kind of frustrate me through the off season is just like the hearing people talk about the Packers personnel, like Aaron Rodgers is playing with the Bad News Bears or whatever. Right. I mean, I I think they're really good. Like I, you know, Alan Lazard probably ideally would be a three and not a two, but I do think he's quite capable. Um, mm -hmm. Valdez Scantling, as long as he doesn't drop the ball, takes the top off. They've got Funches, who knows what he's got. There And then, like you said, you're throwing Amari Rodgers into the mix, all behind, of course, Devontae Adams, who I believe the best wide receiver in football. So I don't know. I think 
the only thing I think holding this team back would be an off- the offensive line. Um, but I feel like they're going to run away with the division personally pretty easily. I think they're a team to beat for sure. Uh, and, you know, the thing I would mention you talking about Rodgers is that every quarterback, and this is something in our business that is looked at negatively when you say a quarterback is a system quarterback, every quarterback is a system quarterback in some regard. They just are. I mean, you don't just go out there and you're not playing a pickup game. So everyone has structure within their offense and the system they play, and that's what Aaron Rodgers is in Matt LaFleur's. I think you saw that last year. When you have an elite talent that plays in an elite yeah. system, those are the production you get. And I agree with you on Devontae Adams. There's no question for me he's the number one wide receiver in the NFL, and he's the best I've seen in a long time at the line of scrimmage. You go, you go up there and press man against Devontae Adams, you better be ready to work. Oh. I'm telling you right now, you better be ready to work because he How will did, shake I mean, you off the line. Yeah, just as a DB, like watching him, that little hop he does, uh, I don't even know how to describe it because I'm just not as well-versed in releases, but it's almost like a bunny hop kind of yeah. when he it's gets like a hesitation off the line. move, yeah. It's a nightmare. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can see, I mean, you know, I'm so glad we get to actually just talk about the Packers as a football team now and not speculate right. over the psychological machinations. Um, so... Let's talk about the Lions, and I want to make an optimistic Ooh. case for the Lions' offense. Okay. Um, we'll talk about the defense in a second, which I, I find the defense very interesting, too. But the offense, I, the optimistic case is <laughs> that uh, Jared Goff really, really struggled under pressure, right? Like, that was ultimately yes. his downfall. The splits are dramatic. The Lions might have the best offensive line in the division. I mean, I, I, I know. Yeah, so while... The wide receiver group is concerning and maybe actually a little bit underrated, which we can talk about. If I had to choose between Jared Goff going to a team with a bad line and a good skill group of skill players versus the reverse, which is what this is, I would choose this for him. I think he's more likely to play well in, in on this team than in an alternate scenario. Yeah, I would agree. The, the offensive line in Detroit is, is the strength of that football team. And we have to project a little bit with Anthony Lynn as a play caller, but Let's do that. It's probably going to be a run-heavy system. Yeah. You understand that. You don't sign Jamal Williams um, just to catch passes on third down. I think Jamal Williams will get more touches than people think as a downhill runner because that's what he is. Has good vision, good pad level behind that offensive front. But what that leads into is what Jared Goff does best, which is throw a timing off play action. That's mm-hmm. when he's at his best. Now, it doesn't mean Jared Goff can't throw from the pocket. We know he can. But it goes back to your point, Mia. When Jared Goff has to reset in the pocket, Things can go south pretty quickly. He's more of a program thrower. You know, you can see him in terms of his mechanics, very robotic at times as a mover in the pocket. When he has to climb or slide and reset, it's hard for him to throw with that timing and rhythm, which makes him uh, a perfect fit for a play-action system. So I do think it'll be play-action heavy. You'll see in-breakers, a lot of in-breakers with Jared Goff. You'll see some boot and three-level reads outside. I call it a flood route when they get mm-hmm. one, two, three towards the sideline or the boundary. And you'll see scheme verticals down the field where they try to occupy and move defenders and give him a one-on-one matchup where he can cut it loose and take a shot over the top. But going back to that offensive front, that's what he needs. He needs time to set his yeah. feet. That's what Jared Goff needs because he's not going to give you the second reaction ability like we talked about with Aaron Rodgers as a, move, as a mover or as a thrower. He's a pocket guy who needs protection and that if I'm the coach, if I'm Anthony Lenz, exactly what I'm going to give him. And you can be aggressive with it, Mina, too. I mean, you can take your shot plays on first and second down. When you get into the shot zone, that's what I call it, the ball between the 40s, 
as a defensive back, your antenna should go up immediately because that's where everyone in the NFL, especially on first down, takes your shots. But that's where you call them. That's where you use play action. If you have to, you max it up. Use seven-man protection. So what? doesn't matter. It's not about looking cool. It's about being efficient on offense. <laughs> so if you have to max it up for Jared Goff, then you do that because you do have some speed and some deep ball ability at the wide receiver position in Detroit. Yeah. I mean, uh, Brashad Perriman can get vertical, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you know, Tyrell Williams, again, like obviously it's not what it was with, you know, Galladay and Brown, but it's not the worst wide receiver group in the NFL. <laughs> Um, covering the Saints next week, folks. Um, yeah, and then they have they drafted uh, Eamon Ross St. Brown, who's kind of exciting too, mm -hmm. sort of different in the mix. I, I, I do want to ask you, I want to hit pause on the actually like talking about what the offense would be. I think what you described is exactly what it should be like. And Anthony Lynn, you know, I think there's a run-heavy bent, but in the past he has shown some schematic flexibility mm -hmm. with the talent available to him. I, I want to hear what you think. Like, it's an interesting team because it's obviously rebuilding. Yes. And it's rebuilding from the inside, right? Like they used their first pick on Panay Sewell. So we're talking about how good this offensive line is. We believe it will be left to right. You're looking at Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson, really outplayed his draft status. Frank Ragnow, been awesome. Vitae, big contract, arguably the weak link, and then Sewell. Um, this is a team that did pass on Justin Fields, who we're going to talk about in this very yep. podcast. And I think that is worthy of criticism. But setting that aside, most people thought they were going to take a wide receiver like a Chase or a Smith right. uh, with their pick. And then Sewell fell to them, you know, because Bengals passed on him. How do you view that approach? Because also we're going to talk about the defense. They're also kind of doing the same thing on the other side of the ball now, really focusing on the trenches, do you, like from a team building perspective. And we all know Jerry Goff, like we'll see what they've got in him, but you know, they paid to take him on basically. Do you like, do, I don't know. Do you subscribe to you? their approach, Brad Holmes, new GM, their approach to team building in Detroit and the rebuild. Well, I said, look at the, who the head coaches, look at Dan Campbell yeah. and what he wants to do. <laughs> um, I mean, they're doing up downs at practice. Okay. So uh, when He's you're doing, doing them, yeah. When you're doing up downs at practice, you're going to spend your first three draft picks like they did an offensive tackle and two interior defensive line. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, okay. And that goes back to why I think they brought in Jamal Williams. I, I think they want to build a football team up front, that can win, move people off the ball on offense, create penetration on defense, and move the line of scrimmage from that perspective on that side of the football. And I think they're trying to build out from there. Uh, I agree. I mean, I, I was surprised. I, I'm not surprised they didn't draft a wide receiver. I'm not surprised in that. Um, with Justin Fields sitting there, I would have a hard time passing him. But again, you draft one of the top offensive tackles who has tremendous upside in the National Football League, who is an elite mover at that position. You don't see that very often. Um, so I understand why they did that. And again, going back to who the head coach is, I think that's what Detroit wants to be. And also understand the length of this contract, like you said, kind of a rebuilding football team. That's what they're going to start building is up front. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could talk about high school football. I mean, it's the same thing. If you don't have an offense and defensive line, it's hard to win football games. So I understand why they're doing it. Um, and that's going to be the football team they are this year. I think they're trying to be a physical football team, an offense who controls the line of scrimmage have to grind out football games, take their shots vertically when the opportunity presents it, use the play-action game to give golf to find clean windows and second-level throws. And then defensively, they have to find a way to rush the passer. They just have to. I mean, that was one of the things with watching Detroit film the last couple of years, their inability to rush mm. the passer consistently. And you can't do that against Aaron Rodgers. You just can't. 
You can't. You have to find a way to rush the passer. And here's the problem. When you can't rush the passer, and then you tell yourself, well, I have to get creative as a defense coordinator. I got to send guys from all over. And then you get a little bit man heavy. We don't have the right personnel in the secondary. And you're leaving guys in the secondary hanging out to dry because he can't get home to the quarterback. So I do this think I do think ultimately that one of the reasons why they made the moves in free agency too was to keep some guys that can win one on ones and rush the passer as well. Yeah, I was just this is a team that was not just man heavy. They were like man overpowering uh, right. much to the detriment of their talent under Matt Patricia. And, you know, people have given Campbell some grief for some of his antics, the knee biting and, and such. But I really like the coaching staff he put together, um, in particular on the defensive side of the ball. So uh, Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator coming from coaching secondary in, in New Orleans, which his mm -hmm. record there on man that speaks for itself right but i've only heard fantastic things about him and then bringing in aubrey pleasant from the rams so working back to front um you know this is a secondary that is not overwhelmingly talented it, it has potential like you've got jeffrey okuda who was this fantastic really i don't want to say flawless but it was hard to pick nits with him as a prospect mm -hmm. he like was and then he comes in and you know, he had, there's a lot of reasons why I think he struggled that that have nothing to do with him. Um, you know, I mentioned scheme, but also he has some really difficult matchups early on. He was put on island a lot and he had injuries as well. Like it just was kind of a nightmare season. So you're hoping that Glenn and Pleasant can come in and get the most out of him. Opposite side of the football, I guess it'll be between Quentin Dunbar, who's also trying to have a comeback season. And then um, Armani, what's his name? He started there last year. Let me pull it up. Oruarie. I hope I said that mm -hmm. right. A um, couple of safeties. You know, Walker, again, struggled last year. But again, it's one of those things where I'm like, how much of this was scheme? How much of this was the player? And like, I look at Pleasant and Glenn, and I think that they should be able to get more out of these players than Matt Patricia. I think so. Looking at coming, especially Glenn coming from New Orleans and what they were schematically. Now they will pressure at times, but they're more split safety. You know, New Orleans yes. played a bunch of two man last year. I think it was New Orleans and the Giants played the most two man in the NFL last year. And two man is, you know, everyone underneath is playing man coverage. Got two safeties over the top, but it's not a chalkboard defense. Those two safeties, especially watching the Saints tape last year, those safeties are used in multiple ways. They will drop down as a robber. They will drop down to cut crossers. They will bracket verticals, and you can do that in quarters coverage as well. I think they'll be very heavy quarters as well. Going back to what we said, you can play four lock, and then when you play four lock, now you got a free safety. Now you can push to the front side, look for number three vertical, look to jump a crosser, because uh, that's where the NFL game is played right now. A lot of three-by-one sets, a lot of end-breaking routes. You have to have a scheme in place to take that stuff away, and especially to limit explosive plays. I think it's an interesting thing. Man. I don't mm. think you're going to – today's NFL, I mean, I don't think you're going to – lock people down like you did in the early 2000s and the 90s. Those days are gone. They're gone. But can you limit explosive plays? That's the number one thing. Can you take away the deep ball throws down the field? You have to do that as a defense. And that's why I think you're seeing more and more NFL defenses. The next two teams we're going to talk about, Minnesota, Chicago, the same way, more split safety heavy because it allows you to use your safeties in multiple ways and take away what NFL offenses like to do most, in breakers and deep ball throws. Yeah. So, and it, you brought I, up a good point about Akuda. Look, if I'm Aaron Glenn, I'm excited. I'm excited that he went through that last year. I really am because playing playing in the secondary uh, in the NFL it, it, as a young player is extremely hard. Especially at the core, it's one thing to say 
you played some games as a rookie as, as a safety. That's one thing. But as a corner, uh, you're seeing speed you've never seen before. You're seeing wide receiver releases you've never seen before. And I'll tell you right now, if you get beat in the NFL, they keep going back at you. That's just how it works. They keep going back at you until the coach takes you out. That's just how the game is played. And those experiences he had, any young player at the cornerback position in the NFL, you need game reps. You need to get beat because, me, I need to be able to go in as a position coach and talk to my player and say, this is why you're getting beat. You have to have those experiences because there's no question about Akuda in terms of his man coverage traits. He has them. We saw him on his college film at Ohio State. He's got great feet. He can motor mirror off the line of scrimmage. He's got the short area speed to close. He has the ball skills. He can high point the football. He's got real loose hips. He's everything you want out of a top-tier corner in terms of traits. But one thing we do in our business, and I mean I'm guilty of it sometimes too, we, we write guys off too soon. We do. But we don't understand that the developmental track is different for every player. And some guys, it takes a year to go out there and have some rough moments until you come back as your second year because I'm – in my belief, that's when you make the biggest jump in the NFL. It's year one to year two. Just simple things, man. You know where the bathroom is in the facility. I mean, I'm not joking. You know how to get to the facility. You know what to wear on the team playing. You don't know any of that stuff as a rookie. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into the game. And guess what? You got to cover Devontae Adams. Have fun. Oh, God, <laughs> you know, it, it's a lot. Oh, it's God. a lot. Okay. So uh, I, I'm excited to watch him this year because I know he has the ability. I know he has the traits. He's going to have good coaches around him that are going to put him in favorable positions. I think that's what you'll see from Aaron Glenn, because I think when they will bring pressure, it will be pressure with the integrity of, ba of the back end intact. Yeah. Yeah. God, I uh, just was, as you were talking about Akuda, I was looking at the schedule and there's a reason why he gave up a 112 pass rating. Um, but I think that the split safety stuff too will help Walker too, right? Who, mm -hmm. um, won't have to play so close to the line of scrimmage as much. And I think it's just more natural in that free safety role. But you're, as you were saying, it's kind of um, a little bit more uh, agnostic as far as the safeties go. Um, I also think it's notable, like just again, looking at this depth chart and, and moving to the front seven, you're seeing a lot of guys who these defensive coaches have familiarity with. Um, you've got former Saints, right? Like Alex Anzalone. Um, and then you've got, uh, Michael Brockers, so Aubrey Pleasant coming from the Rams. By the way, the Rams defense also shares a lot of the characteristics um, Matt was describing earlier and talking about what they do on the back end. And I think that's going to help because, you know, it's still – it's young, man. Like this is – like if you're looking at the guys, they the, the defensive linemen, they drafted those two guys like this mm -hmm. year. Uh, uh, you know, Lynn McNeil and Levi on Onzurike from Washington, they're raw. So having Brockers up front – will help a lot, um, you know, bringing in Anceloni along with, you know, you still got Flowers and Rome. They, they did extend Romeo Cuara to play on the outside. Um, hopefully Jamie Collins can bounce back a little bit, but there's, there's familiarity there. And, and so like, I don't, I, I don't look at this group and I don't think it's like incredibly talented and they're probably not going to be, you know, an above, even above average unit. But I think, You've got the players and more importantly, frankly, the coaches who can at least put a system in place and put them on the right track. I agree. And Okwara is good. You bring him up because you had to resign him. Okwara can win one-on-ones. Yeah. Okay. I don't see Trey Flowers as that. I don't. Uh, and it's, I think Trey Flowers is a scheme dependent rusher and there's nothing wrong with that. He needs to be schemed. He needs to use twist stunts, overload tilted fronts to get him the proper mattress. Where I think Oak Warren, the reason you resign, I mean, you might've overpaid for him a little bit, but that's okay. You have to have someone that can win one-on-ones for you. And, and that's what he gives you. 
and then that allows you to scheme your other three or four, or if you bring pressure, six rushers, because you know you have one guy that can win some one-on-ones for. I think that's very important. I think that's why they brought him back, because it allows him to, at the same time to scheme flowers, because he can get home when you use twists and stunts. He can get vertical. He's got the power, win with speed to power to get to the quarterback, and that's what you do with a player like that. It's so funny because, like, you're talking about Flowers, and it's like, yeah, we saw him do that in New England, but then he comes to Detroit to play for the old New England guy, and suddenly, oh. I mean, you know, it, it, it yeah, it, it turns out, you know, you take the players out of New England, you can't just put them in a totally different defense, and um, no, it doesn't work that way. And I, no, and, and I think, I, I think your point about Aquara is totally right. I mean, they really didn't have any other options, and I, and I think he is a good player, and I think he's going to look better in this defense, and. Um, look with this Lions team and we'll just kind of end here. It's, it's, it's all about, this is a rebuilding team. It's all about establishing a culture, establishing a system and identifying, I think a few key players who you can start the rebuild around. And that starts with the defensive lines, starts with the CUDA Hawkinson, who we didn't talk about. You want him to continue progressing as he did last year. And I think a successful season for Detroit fans looks like that. It doesn't look like making it to playoffs. Um, it just looks like the foundation of something. And I agree with that. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and then let's come back and talk about the, the Minnesota Vikings. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash Mina Show, M I N A S H O W. All right. So, Matt, I again am really ex- interested in this defense because I mean, because it's like another, just kind of a trend. Well, that'll change when we get to Chicago, but you know, like the Vikings offense, I feel like it's kind of going to just look like the Vikings offense last year. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the changes. But the defense, well, they're certainly hoping it doesn't look like the defense last year. But they also, it, it absolutely won't because I, I almost, when I do this exercise, I, I grab all the statistics from last season and 
you know, look at where teams and tr- the various splits and whatever. You could just throw the entire season out the window for Minnesota because, and I know Mike Zimmer wants to, but you know, just the injuries and the opt outs, none of it right. is really relevant. So everyone's back pretty much, including a bunch of guys who were on the team in years past, like your Sheldon Richardson's, mm-hmm. your, you know, your Weatherly's. Um, so let's start up front again. This team, absolutely nightmarish situation. Um, with Michael Pierce opting out, Daniel Hunter getting hurt. So everybody's back. Do you think, like looking at this front seven, do you think it has the potential to kind of live up to some of those past front sevens in the Mike Zimmer defense? I I do, because I want to think Mike Zimmer is too good of a coach. What I agree with what you're saying about what happened last year. I mean, the wheels came off pretty quickly, right? Um, They did, because he's too good of a coach in terms of scheme and how his players play. Uh, based on the tape uh, from past years in Minnesota. Uh, with Hunter back, and if he's healthy, and that's the reports you're hearing now, he's a top five edge rusher in the NFL. It's what he is. There's no question about that. He can win multiple ways to get home to the quarterback. Now, obviously, it gives you freedom when you can have guys up front that can win those one-on-ones. And then you mentioned adding a guy like Sheldon Richardson. Had pretty good tape last year. There's times you could throw on the mm-hmm. tape with Richardson. He looks pretty good, okay? And, and another guy who's multiple up front for you. What that allows Zimmer to do is to play cover two, cover four, which is quarters, mm-hmm. and cover six, which is quarter, quarter, half. And that's what they want to be in the secondary, exactly what they want to be. Because that allows their safeties, again, play top down on the football. That allows them to get hands on wide receivers at the line of scrimmage when they're playing two or six. and allows them to bracket routes down the field in quarters. That's what they want to be. And when you have players like Harrison Smith who are excellent at doing that, excellent at doing that, that's how you start to create on-the-ball production. Because you're creating pressure with your defensive front, and you have the integrity and the scheme of a Mike Zimmer secondary behind it. Now, they will pressure mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer is excellent at this. You know, with Zimmer, you can get a lot of different looks up front. You'll have double A-gap, or you know, both linebackers walked up the A-gap. One mm-hmm. will come, one will drop out. You bring Harrison Smith down. He'll show that he's blitzing. He'll drop out. Now you'll send the slot corner instead. So they will do a lot of late movement in disguise, which, again, is another trend in today's NFL, especially in that secondary. Because guys like Harrison Smith, can drop down and show cover three or a pressure look and drop back and play cover two. Not a lot of safeties yeah, can do I that. Just... I know I couldn't. He put me out there doing that. <laughs> you get fired. Okay. So, um, but he is so talented at that. He's such a smart football player. And you can see that just on the tape, how he plays. And obviously they added Patrick Peterson. I think it's a good landing spot for Patrick Peterson. Patrick Peterson isn't a top tier man co- cover corner at this stage of his career. That's fine. Patrick Peterson, in terms of his football intelligence, is off the charts. Now you're putting him in a more zone-heavy scheme. It doesn't mean he's never going to play man coverage. They're still going to play 20%, 30% man coverage, and he'll be in those situations. But I think for this, with his football intelligence, his eyes get a break in the football, and playing in that zone-heavy scheme, it's a really good fit for him at this stage of his career. Mm-hmm. And I think also it brings a voice to that, that, that cornerback room. You have a lot of cor- young corners in that room. You have a voice like Patrick Peterson in that room. It matters. It matters a ton. I, I go back to my career and playing with veteran guys, like in St. Louis with a guy like Aeneas Williams. When he talked, you, you, I mean, you just just so much information to learn from a veteran defensive back who has done it at a high level for a long time. That's what Patrick Peterson has done. Yeah, it's a great point about Pat Pete because, you know, coming from an Arizona defense that play, I think the most man in the league or. Yeah, I think they had a top uh, five blitz rate too. They went after people. Yeah. So that, you know, he wasn't just not top tier in man. He was 
got off at times last season. And um, obviously I, I, I do, I, I, I suspect that um, this was part of the appeal for him coming to Minnesota, playing in a, in a defense that does play more zone, but also, you know, plays more of the sort of quarters coverage you're talking about. And I think will be, it, it's like a better way for him to kind of manage the decline of his athleticism. Right. And, you know, he's got obviously, um, an incredible, you know, the mental tools are there and they're going to have to kind of override in the same way, like a Richard Sherman has been using sort of his knowledge of coverage mm-hmm. and leverage for years. Sure. Um, you know, I should have mentioned like, so, so I should have mentioned the Minnesota Vikings. They did cut Jeff Gladney. It was a first round draft pick last year who was indicted for an instance of domestic violence just today. Um, so now we're looking at a group that's where Pat Pete will probably start. And then you've got Cam Dantzler, other draft pick last year, who actually played better, but he was good down the stretch. He was. Um, they have Shad Breland. We'll see if he can push Mackenzie Alexander back in the slot. They really love reunions. In they do. They do. Um, Alexander yeah. was really yeah. good for them, though, especially as a blitzer before he yeah. left for Cincinnati. Uh, Zimmer schemed him up to get him open rush lanes consistently. And look, it's one thing to say, well, there's an open rush line. I'm going to go hit the quarterback. And it, you know, that's, it sounds great. You still have to know how to pressure. And Mackenzie Alexander knows how to blitz, especially from the slot. I like Breland. I always have. Now, it's a, that's a veteran corner mm. who's got physical traits and coverage. Zimmer will love a guy like that. And Cam Dancer bring up a good point. Long corner, tremendous length, can create on the ball production. Again, someone that benefits more from playing in this scheme where you can play on top of routes. And that's the number one thing when you're talking about young corners. Can you stay on top of routes? Well, if you're on top of the route, good things happen. Now you can break down. You're breaking downhill on the football. So the guy's flying past you, which is not a good thing. So I like the fit for him in Minnesota as well. Yeah. And last year, like, Matt, I feel like I could go back and listen to my NFC North preview and it was before Daniel Hunter was heard. And I think before Michael Pierce opted out and I was like, yeah, it's a young secondary, but the front seven's so good. They'll be fine. And then the bottom fell Mm -hmm. out. And so it was like trial by fire and they kind of burned. And so now you not only do you have more experience for some of these young players and you're bringing in some vets, but I I just think the return of reinforcements up front is going to be so helpful as you described. Um, we didn't even talk about it, the fact that, you know, they have still, like, Eric Hendricks is still incredibly good. Yes. And uh, Anthony Barr, you know, I feel like the contract, he's there's always been some kvetching amongst Vikings fans, but it, he is also still very good pass rusher, um, very good tackler, can be exploited in coverage, but still, this is a good group of linebackers. So I agree. Top to bottom, good defense. It is good defense. I expect them to play such a different brand of football this year, completely yeah. different than last year. And get back to what yeah. we what we are accustomed to seeing from Mike Zimmer coach defense. A defense that plays vast, that plays with fundamentals, that is physical and uses their safeties in creative ways to get a jump on the football. And on top of that is the pressure looks you'll get from Zim. A lot of different looks. They really make the quarterback work post snap. And you have to do that. Even if you're playing Patrick Mahomes. I, I understand mm-hmm. how great Patrick Mahomes is. They're gonna play Rodgers twice a season. We know that you have to make him work. I mean, you can't just line up and say, hey, hey we're going to play cover three again. Come get us. No, it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Got to give them different looks. And, again, that goes back to what I was talking about, one of the, I believe, the top trends in today's NFL. Everyone's doing it. Is there so much late movement? You know, you're, the quarterback's mm-hmm. seeing something totally different after the ball is snapped. And Zimmer is excellent at that. Uh, and a couple weeks ago, I had um, 
Chris Fasser on Coach Fasser talk about this, and he was talking about how e- how much easier it is to disguise your intentions from um, a split safety coverage right. where you can spin a guy down. And, and I think it is funny, like going through this division in particular. We're going to talk about Chicago. I expect the same from Chicago, yes. right? Because you've got Sean Desai coming from the the Vic Fangio school. But we'll get to we'll get to that defense. Let's talk about the Vikings offense. I said it was it was very predict like we know what to expect, but I should say at the moment, uh, Matt, the starting quarterback is uh, it's a competition between Jake Browning and Case Cookus, who is a real person. <laughs> Case Cookus. Uh, so uh, it's it is it, credit to Mike Zimmer, who is just fed the hell up like he is just so over it w- with regards to um, some of these players, in particular, the quarterbacks not being available to him. Mm-hmm on account of uh, the COVID tests and, you know, her Kirk Cousins comments, but as much as I can kind of laugh it off and be like, well, it's Kirk, he'll be come back, whatever. It is actually really bad for him to miss this much time. Uh, you know, it's, I know it's Clint Kubiak. I know it's the same scheme, but you don't want your starting quarterbacks out for 10 days no. at this time of year, Matt. Like this is not good. You still got to practice. Everyone has to practice. It doesn't matter what level of skill you are in that league. You have to practice. Uh, you need to go through you need to go through training camp days when you can't feel your legs. You need to have those days. You need to go through the days as a quarterback when you have a sore arm. You know, you need to go through the days when the defense wins because that's going to happen in NFL training camp. You're going to have down days. And also you need to try stuff. I mean, that's one of the things I say all the time. You know, we get these – and obviously we're right in the middle of it now when you get a training camp report. There's a 1,000 a day about, you know, mm. what the quarterback's completion percentage was. And I don't think that matters. Um, I, I think what matters is, is the quarterback playing within the structure and is he trying new things? Is he trying to attack more tight window throws, seeing if he can do it? There's certain things you have to do against your defense, yeah. especially the competition they have versus their own defense in training camp. You, you're exactly right. you got to be on the field. Yeah, it's not great. So, but we're, let's just, we're going to talk about the offense like Kirk Cousins is the quarterback because okay. he, he will be the quarterback. Um, not a ton of change. Uh, so, you know, I think probably the biggest change is, uh, tight end or Smith juniors stepping yep. up and being the guy. Um, and then on the offensive line, the drafting of Christian Darisaw mm-hmm. to play left tackle. Um, this is an offensive line that's been, I would say middling to below average in recent years, both pass blocking and run blocking. Um, a lot of inconsistency across the board. So that to me will sort of define the success of this group. Cause at this point, like Matt, I, it's, we're, we're talking about Jared Goff. I kind of just view Kirk Cousins as like a, like a slightly better Jared Goff in some ways. Like when you're talking about Goff's strengths and weaknesses, I think they translate. Mm-hmm. Um, very good skill players, obviously. Slam dunk pick with Jefferson. Uh, I guess the question, who will be wide receiver three, we can talk about. But like to me, you know, Cook's great. It, it just kind of all... Whether or not this group can finish in the top 10 inefficiency and that's kind of where they've been lingering or even be better it really starts and ends to me with the offensive line yeah i agree i mean bradbury has to play at a higher level cleveland has to play as a higher level there's no question about that now i love i love the pick of darsa i do Uh, i really like this film Uh, i Mm. think he has a very high ceiling at the left tackle position because he can move in space he can climb the second level and zone scheme which you're going to see a lot from minnesota Uh, and that will really help you know, probably like Dalvin Cook, because I think Dalvin Cook, I mean, you can have a discussion that uh, he, he's the best running back in the NFL. You can really have that discussion because of his game speed, because of his traits, his contact balance, his vision, and the ability to cut back 
awful left tackle to climb and seal for him. That creates open running lanes for him. In terms of Kirk Cousins, I mean, like you said, Kirk Cousins is a very scheme-dependent quarterback. That's what he is. I don't think Minnesota wants him anywhere near the pocket. I don't. I, th- I think that's why you see so much play action and heavy boot. I mean, you know, they'll boot Cousins out all the way to the numbers. That's a long way to go. I mean, they get him as far away from the pocket as possible. I don't think he does well in muddy pockets. Uh, I think, like you said, with Jared Goff, he's a very structured thrower who leans in the scheme. But when he is throwing with rhythm in that scheme, I mean, Kirk Cousins can dice you up. He can. That's just how it is. Yeah. When he's within that structure of the scheme, he can light you up on light up an NFL defense, and especially with the receiving talent he has at the top with Thielen, especially Justin Jefferson, how they scheme up Jefferson and get him one-on-ones or create open window, second and third level windows for him. I was so impressed with Jefferson. I was <laughs> so impressed. One with his ability to win at the line of scrimmage versus press coverage, but also his ability within the route stem to set up defensive backs, to create leverage and create an opening for him to separate with speed at the break and give his quarterback a clean target. He had an excellent rookie season. Excellent rookie season. I, I was trying to think of like where Jefferson gets better. And honestly, Matt, I was kind of hard pressed to come up with stuff like the dude. I mean, I, I, I liked him at LSU. I was curious to see how he, it would translate to playing outside in particular in the NFL. But like, like you said, um, off the line of scrimmage, incredible. The route running unreal, all three levels, uh, contested catches, like, he, he he is so complete as a receiver, and it's so important for Minnesota because while Adam Thielen is still fan, he's still really really good. You do see that athleticism declining a little bit, right? He's a little bit less explosive. He's not really fighting through the way he used to and and winning at the catch point. And so to have Jefferson on the ascent as Thielen, you know, kind of maybe slides into that next tier is it's sensational. I- I'm. So they did sign D.D. Westbrook, I should point out. I, I right. mentioned wide receiver three is kind of the area of interest, but there's a bunch of fun names. Uh, Chad Beebe's still there. Johnson, Amir Smith-Marset, who my friend Nate Tice loves. So, right. you know, it's I'll be curious to see if they play more 11, uh, the three wide receiver, because this is a team that plays very little without um, Rudolph there. Right. Um, and but But by and large... You know, I kind of just feel like I know what this offense is going to look no, no, like. I think um, you do. I mean, that, yeah. that's okay to say that, though, I mean, because we understand what they're going to be. They're going to yeah. be run heavy with misdirection and play action. That's what they're going to be. Run heavy with misdirection and play action. Take their shots down the field. Uh, it's interesting on Irv Smith. You know, Irv Smith, I think, does have some functional hip tightness. Okay, he's mm-hmm. not going to, you know, in terms of his getting out of his breaks, there is some tightness in his hips, but you can scheme for that. You can have him stretch the seams. You can run crossers and overs off play action. I think he is good after the catch. You mentioned Smith Marset, obviously I'm an Iowa alumni. So yes. uh, you know, this is you're talking about a scheme fit for a day three pick. This is pretty good. Now, obviously, we know Smith Marset gives you some upside on special teams, like he did for the Hawkeyes, but you're running deep crossers and overs. Okay. This is a guy who can press up the field and separate with speed out of his break to run those deep crossers and overs. And again, what he can do after the catch is very important. So I think he's a guy that could also have a shot at that wide receiver three spot. But you do bring up a great point, Mina. They're not trying to recreate what they are in Minnesota. They're not. We know what they yeah. are. We know what they are in terms of offensive structure and the system they want to run. And we know who they are with Kirk Cousins and how they want to utilize him, especially on boot and play action, to get him away from the bodies at his feet so he has clear vision and can throw the football. And we know what the defense is capable of right. when they're actually healthy. So, um, you know, this is I, – I think it's a team that totally – 
has the talent and the coaching to challenge as a wild card team. You know, just a few things have to go their way. Um, so the, the the true not wild card team, but wild card in the metaphorical sense of the division is Chicago, uh, because as much as I said, like we know what the Vikings' offense is, the Bears' offense is, you know, it's all so many questions. So let's start there. I mean, I do not like answering the question when should the rookie quarterback start right. i it is not interesting to me because <laughs> it is subject to variables that are dependent on speculation so that said i want to talk about justin fields in this offense and what it should look like when he okay. does start because that is interesting to me and you know uh, when he wins a job and he's going to win it at some point guys that spoiler alert he is going to start in, <laughs> at some point um given the issues with the offensive line, which is arguably, you know, one of the big question marks on this yep, team and the skill players they do have whom we can discuss, how would you, and what we saw from him in college and what we didn't see from him, how would you, if you were Matt Nagy game plan around Justin Fields? I think you got to start uh, almost in levels. You start with the quick game and RPO throws. Those, those have to be at the top of the call sheet. One for a young quarterback is very defined. You're getting from one to two as fast as you can. Get the ball out with speed, whether you're under center or in the gun. Obviously, with the RPOs, he ran RPOs at Ohio State. Um, and one, he brings an added element to the RPOs because of his ability as a runner and the ball carrier vision, the physical element he mm -hmm. plays with. So I think RPOs and quick game have to be at the top. A lot of inbreakers, a lot of inbreakers and second-level throws with Allen Robinson. That's either using play action or movement getting fields to the edge of the pocket where he can find his number one wide receiver. I think you have to isolate Allen Robinson as often as you can, whether he's a backside X and three by one or a line in the slot where he can create those one-on-ones and give Justin Fields an opportunity to take the one-on-one -on -one. because we know, and we've talked about this, Mina, Justin Fields, again, this is based on college tape, but that's all we have. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible deep ball accuracy. The ability to throw the ball in rhythm down the field, drive the football and throw it with location. That's a huge part of playing this position in the NFL because you're talking about a team that under Matt Nagy has not been able to create explosive plays consistently in the past game. They just haven't. Now, obviously, we know Mitchell Trubisky had his limitations, especially as a pocket thrower in Chicago. With Justin Fields, I do believe he can get to a point in this offense where he can have multiple progression reads, read it out from the pocket, get from one to two to three. And here's the, another part about what we're talking about with Rodgers. When things do go south, now you have really high-end second reaction ability with Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. ability to escape and extend and get outside the pocket. And then the last element, really, Mina, is how you utilize him or scheme him as a runner. Because it's not just zone mm -hmm. read. You're talking about quarterback power, quarterback counter, hitting downhill because he's 230 pounds. Okay, and I think <laughs> that's, that's an obvious yeah. weapon for you, especially in the low red zone. I call it the low red zone, the 10-yard line and in. Where do you utilize that? Because now you get numbers. You get plus one with the quarterback carrying the football. And Matt Nagy, trust me, when, when, when Justin Fields get in there, I think the Bears will elevate to one of the top teams in terms of motion and movement because I think they have to. Okay, one, you're going to define it for the young quarterback, but also you're going to give a lot of misdirection, a lot of pre-snap movement, and to get Justin Fields moving to the edge of the pocket where he can create as a runner and a thrower. I, I, I'm very excited to see him play. I really liked his college state. I, I really liked it because I do think he has an incredibly high ceiling at the position. And we know what Andy Dalton is. I mean, we talked about this last week. Andy Dalton, in my opinion, is has to play the quarterback position like a point guard, be a ball distributor. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he elevates your offense. You drafted Justin Fields, in my opinion, because he has the traits 
the playmaking traits to take over football games. And that's what they desperately needed at that position in Chicago. Now, obviously, you look at the skill position. You mentioned the offensive line. I think the offensive line would be very interesting to watch. They, you know, they drafted Tevin Jenkins at Oklahoma State, who I don't know if he practiced today, but he hasn't practiced yet during training camp, I'm pretty sure. Okay, that's a, really yeah, with, and he's making the switch yeah. too. Ooh, that's not good. Um, that is not good. Jermaine Effetti is gonna be your probably your right guard. You know what you have in Cody White here. You get James Daniels back from an injury, former Hawkeye there. But the offensive line it, it is not in the same caliber we were talking earlier in the show about Detroit's offensive line. It's not. So no. can they run the ball effectively? That's gonna be a part of it too. And I know everyone says, yeah. you know, look, I, I'll say this. It, Running the football, in my opinion, whether you're talking about Friday nights where I coach me or Sundays in the NFL, it's not about how many carries you have. Who cares? It's can you run the ball efficiently when you do run it? Can you run the ball efficiently? Because I do like David Montgomery. I think David Montgomery has pro traits to the position. I think he can stack moves together. He's got really good contact balance, good vision. He's not going to be a home run hitter for you. He's just not. That's not who David Montgomery is in terms of explosive playability. But you can run him consistently on inside zone. And I think the Bears are going to be a heavy inside zone run team. Hmm. Try to combo and climb inside and give give Montgomery opportunities to cut back, bend, or bounce the football. But I do like David Montgomery at that position. But outside of Robinson, Darnell Mooney's a name we haven't talked about. I think Darnell Mooney's a sending player. But you have to know what he is. You know, Darnell Mooney is a vert- vertical stretch option. He can take the top off a of defense. He can run the deep post. He can run the deep crosser. He's not mm. going to make a bunch of plays for you, Mina, and contested catch throws or tight red zone windows. But he can be a weapon for you. Um, but ultimately, it's Allen Robinson, right? It's Allen Robinson, who is yeah. a top-tier number one wide receiver. That's what Allen Robinson, there's no question about that. I think when Fields does earn that spot, like you said, whenever that is, look for a lot of target volume there. Because I think they're going to isolate him, set him up to get him one-on-ones where Justin Fields can win with ball location on those throws. Gosh, I mean, there's a lot of speed on this roster um, after Robinson between, you know, you got Mooney and then Goodwin. Like, it's not a great group, mm-hmm. but between Mooney, who I agree is ascending, and, and also just a really nice fit with Robinson, who, you know, speed is kind of not his strength. It isn't his strength. Um, having Mooney, Goodwin, Demir Bird, again, it's not great, but... And now you have a quarterback who, like you said, has incredible deep ball accuracy. Um, I also like the running back group. Like I, I this is a, a running game that was not particularly efficient last year, largely in, because of the run blocking, frankly. But just the talent on this roster behind Montgomery, you also have Damien Williams now. Khalil Herbert out of Virginia Tech was a back I liked. Um, and then Tariq Cohen comes back as the mm-hmm. change of pace guy. Like that's a good group. Uh, I, you said a couple things about fields I want to talk about because I think it's really interesting one, you know, as, as far as the offense goes, I couldn't agree more. And, and frankly, it's funny because a lot of the concepts you're mentioning are things they sort of tried to do with Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like they, they didn't use a healthy dose of RPOs and quarterback movement stuff. He just kind of was a mix of not leaning into it enough. And also him not executing just, not being as talented. Justin Fields is better than him. So I see it working. I get it. I also think like we can talk about sort of the stuff we saw at Ohio State. I I think he needs to run the ball a lot more than he did in college. And I'm very intrigued by what you said about uh, the quarterback run game, not just being zone read. I, I was just, ah, what were we talking about? We were talking about Trey Lance today. Mm-hmm. 
on live. And, you know, we saw him, I mean, you talk about Justin Fields being a load, Trey is as well, right? And we saw him run a lot of power concepts um, in college. And I was thinking about that. It's interesting with uh, San Francisco in particular, which is a, you know, a zone running game, but thinking about that change up in your offense, especially going against like today, there's all these light defenses, right? Like that's where the NFL is going. Now imagine Trey Lance or let's just focusing on the Bears. Justin Fields comes to town and you got that dude barreling up the middle. Like, I, I mean, just defenses having to account for that threat is a nightmare. So if I'm Matt Nagy, I am leaning all the way into his abilities. I am not, I am, I, and I think offenses in the NFL are starting to do this, not being as like protective of their quarterbacks and trying to force them into like, oh, he's a pocket pass or whatever. I am going all the way in on Justin Fields' uh, skill set as a runner because I think that is going to be so helpful to him as he transitions into the end. Sure, it also impacts your practice structure from an opposing defense perspective. Now you have to add a quarterback run period to your practice script. There's things you just have to do. And also there's things you have to do with him as a runner in terms of second reaction ability. It impacts what you can call on defense. It's just like when you look at the tape, uh, teams that play Lamar Jackson. Okay, you remember last year and that was the wild card game against Tennessee when he had that 40 plus yard touchdown run. Yes. Why would you jump into man coverage? You can't do it. Just can't do it. And no matter how much you want to do it as a defense quarter, I, I you know, I play man coverage. I'm calling man coverage. No, 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 no. You can't do it in that situation. So it impacts what you can do from a defensive call perspective as well, because you're not going to be as much man looks in third and seven plus situations because of field's ability to pull the ball down and, and make plays as a second reaction runner. Uh, but going back to the quarterback run game, yeah, I do think it's going to be a big part. You know, that's the same thing I would do as a coach. I always try to look at, you know, what would I do from a coaching perspective? And I'll say I'm not as smart as NFL coach. But watching enough tape, you say, okay, what would I do in these situations? We mentioned the low red zone. Also, third and two to six, that's where Justin Fields can be a matchup piece for you as a runner in terms of what you scheme in third and two to six. Movement concepts, or getting him to the edge of the pocket where he can throw the ball or pull it down as a runner. There's just simple things you can do. And look, you're going to see him at the high school level as well. But it really impacts, one, it expands your call sheet from an offense perspective. It totally expands your call sheet, much different than Andy Dalton. Okay, Andy Dalton movement concept is going to be some sprint, some boot. And that will be, like we said, that'll be in the call sheet as well with Justin Fields. But just the quarterback design runs. It expands your call sheet and it forces defense to account for an extra player in the run game it really causes some issues from a defense perspective, especially with someone as gifted mm-hmm. as Fields. This thing, one thing we haven't discussed, and this was with a lot of rookie quarterbacks. You mentioned it with Trey Lance. You saw it with Trevor Lawrence as well. That physical element at the position. Okay, that physical element is so important. We don't talk about it enough with quarterbacks. One, you're, the physical element you bring inside of the pocket. When you do have bodies around you, when you have to step up and slide through a defensive end, grab it on your shoulder pad. When you have to escape and extend and get outside and find the sticks on third and two to six, and you have to drop a shoulder. When you have that ball carrier vision in the open field, so when you pull the ball down, you become a running back in space. You saw that with those three young quarterbacks and Lawrence, Lance, and obviously Justin Fields. I think that physical element is so important in today's NFL. There's, I, th- I said this just now about Lance, but same thing. There's not a defensive coordinator on the Bears schedule who wants to play Justin Fields instead, or wants to play, yeah, Justin Fields instead of Andy Dalton. I guarantee you that. Um, right. I have one question, dude, uh, about this team, the roster. 
why is Jimmy Graham on it? Um, because it's the team that, you know, so I, I, I didn't even say this. You're in Chicago. You cover this team very closely. If it's not very obvious from your deep knowledge of it. Um, they, they had to let Kyle Fuller walk. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and then they cut Leno. I, and yet Jimmy Graham, they could have saved a bunch of money. Like, I, know. I mean, I know. can you explain I'm that to you. me? You know, Does it- Jimmy Graham is still has the ability inside the little red zone. Okay. We understand that. Yeah. He's still going to catch some touchdowns for you. There's no question about it because of his Post size up. and his catch frame. We, we understand that. But his play speed is severely declined, severely declined. And, and Jimmy Graham is not a plus blocker. Uh, he never was. And at this point, he's really not a plus blocker in the run game. So you're going to have to put him backside on, on zone plays. And also, you know, the number one thing for me, Mina, is you're taking reps away from Cole Komet, who drafted in the second round. Right. So if you're going to invest that draft cap on the second round pick, who played in the pro route system at Notre Dame, has some receiving traits, can block free the run game, I'm doing everything I can to give him reps. Everything I can. I want him to be my tight end, who can be a seam stretcher, who can win some matchups underneath, can be a red zone option. Again, third and two to six. I always think of game situations. That's one of the biggest ones. Third and two to six, third and seven to ten. I want Cole Komet to be my middle of the field target for Justin Fields. That's why I drafted him. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm with you. I don't understand it. I do not. I don't understand that, and I don't understand the head coach. Again, I'm not in this position. I don't understand the head coach naming Andy Dalton the starter in June. What are we doing here? I just we, we, there's I no place playing know. football in June. Well, especially it's like I, I think when he did that, I, I thought about um, the Seahawks because there's just a lot of similar similarities, and one of the similarities is that Andy Dalton's making the exact same amount of money that Matt Flynn made. In 2012, so he's even more expendable. And Pete Carroll came out in 2012 and said, "This is a competition," and Russell Wilson won the job from him. And that is what you want Justin Fields to do. Right? Why uh, would you not uh, say it's a competition? It doesn't make any sense. No, um, because let's hope he's lying. Look, these guys lie all the time now. So, I mean, even if it's close, okay, even if Andy Dalton's a little bit more ready, I still start the rookie because I can't. Here's the thing, 100%, yeah. especially at that position. I mean, it's one thing to practice, and look, we talk about you need to practice. Everyone needs to practice at every level. You have to play to experience this stuff. You've yeah. got to be on the field. You have to play. Now, will there be some ups and downs with a rookie? Sure. Just like Trevor Lawrence. There's going to be some some moments you say he looks like a young quarterback because he is a young quarterback. But you understand as a coach, you understand as a, as a general manager, as a pro scout, that you drafted him to be your franchise quarterback, and you have to get through that first year. Because what you want to see is once they, once they make this, this mistake, which they're going to, they're going to correct the mistake, and their games are going to start to elevate week and week and week. But to do that, you have to be on the football field. And I agree with you. The best teams, and obviously we understand Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. We get that. But the best teams have competition at every position, right? That creates better football teams. That creates better practice environments. That creates better competition for those roster spots on the, on the first line of the depth chart and the second line of the depth chart. And if I'm Matt mm-hmm. Nagy, I want that at the quarterback position. I need it at the quarterback position. I need it. I need it. Mm-hmm. And I would give Justin well- every opportunity to win that job. So the Graham thing, you know, it's not just about the reps. And I, I kind of alluded to the money and letting Kyle Fuller walk, and it really is a problem. I mean, it's not he's not the only reason why Kyle Fuller is not on this roster, but you know, this is a defense that has been it's getting older and has been sapped of talent, at, especially in the back end. But I want to start in the front because um, it, it feels unfair to blame Jimmy Graham when Robert Quinn is making right. $70 million dollars to forget two sacks. I do think Robert Quinn is going to bounce back this year. I really do. Um, you know, watching the bears, like I, I know it was a super up and down season and he certainly wasn't as productive as his contract, but I did still view him as impactful. And I also think like, you know, obviously they didn't have Eddie Goldman. 
was he opt out or was he was he an opt out? Yes. Opt out. Okay. So he comes back. Um, I thought Bilal Nichols was fantastic mm-hmm. and you. really popped. Uh, Akeem Hicks is still Akeem Hicks. Um, so you've got that, you know, the the front, and then behind them, Cleo Mack is still Cleo Mack. You've got Roquan Smith, who finally breaks out and is fantastic and is one of the best cover linebackers in football. And then, you know, Trevathan's on the wrong side of 30, but yes. Quinn can't be as bad as he was last year, right? Like, no, I, I he's feel gotta go. like he's got to. He's got to start playing high level football. Yeah. So then look, you mentioned Sean Desai, the new defense coordinator. This yes. will be Vic, Vic Fangio's defense schematically. Now, every coordinator, every coach at every level is going to put their own spin on it, right? We understand that. And there'll be different things. But at its core, it's going to be a Vic Fangio defense. What you're going to get there, I believe, which is going to help Quinn, more importantly, help Cleo Mack, more schemed fronts. Okay, multiple defensive fronts. Again, that's a trend in the NFL. We can look at Patrick Graham, yeah. look at Robert Sala. I mean, it does, we can go down the list. Tilted fronts. Tilted front is your four-man front when you have three guys on one side and one guy backside. Well, those three guys, the front side, now they're getting one-on-ones. That's just how it is. They're going to get one-on-ones. You're going to scheme them. You're going to twist them. You're going to stunt them. you got to do everything you can to scheme one-on-one pass matchups for Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. That's what you do. There'll be five-man fronts. There'll be linebackers walked. There'll be different fronts that the Bears will show this year, reminiscent of the 2018 season when they went to the playoffs that Vic Fangio was running the defense because you have talent up front. But I think it needs to be more heavily schemed to get those guys free and get them loose because if you get Khalil Mack a bunch of one-on-ones, he's going to be a very productive player for you. We already know that. Mm. In the in the tilted front, would you have Trevathan on the strong side and then – Roquan on the back? Well, you could do different things, Mina. So if you're thinking, think of, you know, the San Francisco Super Bowl team and what yeah. they did with those guys up front, walking Fred Warner up to make a five-man front. And it's three guys on one side, two guys to the other side. You could do whatever you want from there. You could rush all mm-hmm. five. You could drop one out. But more importantly, you're probably going to rush all five in your scheme for them. You're yeah. going to have guys be, you know, the guy who picks moving vertical up the field so you can wrap a Khalil Mack. You can wrap a Robert Quinn in. You can use a Roquan Smith as a pass rusher. I agree with you on Trevathan. Trevathan doesn't run like he used to. Simple as that. Trevathan can be a liability at times in the second level. So it'll be interesting to see what they do at that position, especially in their sub packages, if it's someone different yeah. than Danny Trevathan. Because I do think, you know, with the Vic Fangio defense, it'll probably be more nickel heavy than dime heavy. So it's going to be important to who that second linebacker is. Well, Matt, they don't have the personnel to play time. I mean, that, and so no. that brings me to the real challenge that Sean Desai's got in front of him, which is um, this is a secondary that has is really. Whew, there's some questions. So Eddie Jackson down here last year, mm-hmm. I think he'll he'll bounce back, especially going back to the more Fangio esque defense, right? I think that'll be good for Jackson. Uh, and then you've got some continuity next to him at uh, with Tayshawn Gibson mm-hmm. playing safety again, but corner. Woof, yes, woof. I mean, whew, I, I love I, I really like Jalen Johnson as a draft pick, and I think he outplayed his draft status, and but he is now CB1. And behind so after him, I'm looking. So they signed Desmond Trufon, who hasn't played in like years. I right. mean, I, I he's just not been healthy. Um Kendall Vinder, mm-hmm. who played a little bit last yep. year. I guess Artie Burns is coming back. Like yep. it, Give me, like, what is the upside case for this group? Because, like I said, it is challenging. The upside case is that Desmond Trufant stays healthy. That's the first thing. Because yeah. when Desmond Trufant is healthy, he still has really high-level transition speed. What I mean by transition speed, the ability to generate speed coming out of your back pedal. He's always had that throughout his entire career. You 
the upside is that you're hoping that Jalen Johnson continues to extend, extend in terms of his ability at the cornerback position because he does have physical coverage traits. He had a lot of on-the-ball production last year. I didn't have a lot of picks, but on-the-ball production, getting his hands on the football at the point of attack, he, I mean, he was up there, I think, top five at the cornerback position. Now, obviously, that's more people throwing at the young kid. I understand that. But he did answer some questions, in my opinion. I think he can be a really good corner for you. I liked his tape coming out of Utah. Um, and with Eddie, I, I'll tell you this with Eddie. Uh, I mean, if I'm his position coach, the first thing I do in training camp is I go in the meeting room with him and say, okay, Eddie, let's watch the 2018 tape. Let's watch all the mm. big plays you make. What were you seeing here? Why did you like this coverage? What was Vic telling you in this situation? Because I want to recreate that. Okay? He didn't make big plays last year. And that's really this entire defense, I mean, if you think about it. You need your big-name players. You need Cleo Mack, Akeem Hicks, Roquan Smith, Eddie Jackson to be playmakers for you. They have to be because they didn't have it last year. I feel like a a little bit of broken record, but with the the Fangio defense, do you think Eddie benefits from being aligned farther back at where he can – you know what I mean, versus last season? I think Eddie benefits more from being a post-safety because he's got exceptional range, vision, and ball skills. There's no question about it. Look, Eddie Jackson, you shouldn't put him in the box. Eddie Eddie Jackson isn't going to drop the hammer on you in the run game. That's not who he is as a player. That's not who he is. He's a ball hawk. So you put him in the post, you put him in the quarter, you put him in the deep half, or you play top down the football, create range to the football, either split field range or post yes. range, because you know he can do that. And you allow him to be aggressive in quarters. And what I mean by that is if he's rolling down in quarters and he sees a crosser from the backside, you let him go get it. You know, yes. we talk about quarterbacks playing outside of structure at times, Mina. Okay, with playmakers and defense, you have to understand that at times they're going to play outside of structure. Sometimes it's going to drive you crazy as a coach, but you know they're going to make plays off it as well. You allow them to be football mm. players. That's what you have to do. You allow them to be football uh-huh. players and play to someone like Eddie Jackson who has natural playmaking traits. Because if he doesn't make plays, with the depth they have at cornerback this year, that's not good. Okay. Well, that brings me to my next question, which is you said they, they play more nickel. Who's the slot? Is it Burns? I mean, they drafted the kid from Oregon. It like... could be Vildor. It could be. <sighs> could be. But look at, look, at, up. Uh, look at how Vic, and again, we're talking about Vic Fangio. We know he's not in Chicago, but we're talking about his system. Okay, look at 2018 yeah. uh, when he took someone like a Bryce Callahan. Okay, Bryce Callahan does not have elite traits as a slot corner, but he played at a pretty high level because when yes. – Vic brings pressure a lot of times at slot pressure. He can scheme up his slot corner. He can put him in a position to play pattern match technique underneath, protect him in a little bit, you know? And you can do that as a defense corner based on the personnel you have. Hmm. Kendall Vildor, elite name. It is. Not yet an elite cornerback. It is a really elite name. All right. As always, let's wrap with the prediction. I'll go first. I mean, I'm going to go – Packers, Vikings, Bears, Lions, with the Bears having that sort of crazy 2012 Seahawks upside if Fields bust out, but right. you know the personnel is worse around him than the personnel was around Russell Wilson. Yeah, I would agree with you on those picks, and I'd say that Minnesota is upside as a possible wild card team. Yeah. All right. Well, our upside is very high with Matt Bowen, so we're going to wrap with five questions for our guests: four from me, one from Lenny. And now it's time for dinks and dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Matt, first question. Um, you play for Washington for a few years. Do you see them winning the division over Dallas? Sorry to put you on the spot. Nobody will remember. Uh, no, I, I think it could be very close because they have the best defensive front seven, I think, in football. 
I think they'd be much more explosive on offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. I think it'd be much more vertical as a passing game because we know Ryan Fitzpatrick is fearless. I think they have a running back in Antonio Gibson who's got dynamic ability. So I think they're going to be right there. And if I had to pick right now, because you said no one's going to remember, you promised me that. No one's going to remember. I'm going to say Washington. I'm changing like every day, and now I'm leaning Washington. The Prescott injury has me a little shook. And you know Dallas has to score like 40 points Mm -hmm. a game. So – Oh, I'm leaning Washington too, but it's it's close. It's close. All right. Second question. Uh, we talked about Denver and Fangio, and we I did the AFC West last week. But I, I want to ask you this, your opinion on this. This is kind of a bigger picture question. But, like, I think – I've said this. Denver, I think, has the potential to be a top three defense in the league. However, they did not address the quarterback position. Right. It's funny because – you really like Denver was the last team to really win a Super Bowl. I mean, it, the Pats, you know, the defense won that. But I mean, we've had teams that have won with great defensive performances, but really not on the strength of the defense from, you know, the, throughout the playoff run. Denver did, right? They, that defense carried Peyton Manning. Do you think a defense can even do that anymore in today's NFL? I'm kind of, this is really kind of crazy for a rapid fire question because it's like a much bigger picture. But I was thinking about that vis-a-vis Denver because I think the defense is so good, but I kind of think it might not matter. I think, like we talked about earlier, I, I think today's NFL, you don't have the true shutdown defenses. Um, but you do have defense that can create pressure and limit explosive plays. Denver has the ability to do that. I think they can limit the scoring output of – Patrick Mahomes of a Justin Herbert in that division. But ultimately, you have to score points to beat Patrick Mahomes. I think you're going to have to score points to beat Justin Herbert. And that comes back to the quarterback position. Is this the year, meaning that Drew Locke becomes uh, a solid number one quarterback for them? Because I think Drew Locke has more traits as a thrower than Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but we, one way to see who wins that competition. But if it is Drew Locke, can he ascend this football team? Because you're going to beat Mahomes and Herbert, you're going to have to score some points. And but that is, I think actually, it, it it is relevant because you know you were talking about how like if the, the competitions be close between Fields and Dalton, you go with Fields, right? Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the if the competition is actually close between Locke and Bridgewater, at least you you, you have that potential upside or the the dream of the upside with Locke, right. and you you're, and I think you need that upside to compete with those quarterbacks. And I don't think it's there. I want to be clear. <laughs> I you, you listen to my AFC West podcast. But, God, it is just it, – it, we're talking about the NFC North, and I'll just put it this way. If Fields breaks out, there are going to be some very unhappy Broncos fans, and they should be very yes, unhappy. Yes, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and, and, and no shade to Patrick Sertan, who's, I think, going to be a fabulous NFL player. Um, all right, question number three. Um, I assume you grew up a Bears fan. You did, right? Because you're from Illinois. I did. I remember watching the Super Bowl when I was in fourth grade, 85 Bears. So who's your favorite Bear of all time? Uh, it's tough from that team. I, I mean, I would say probably Walter Payton or Jim McMahon. I mean, that's what I grew up watching. Now, obviously, the 85 Bears defense. I mean, you still talk about them here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I love Singletary and Dent, Dan Hampton. Steve McMichael, all those guys in defense. But if you had to ask my favorite, I'm, I'm still going to say Walter Payton. But I love watching McMahon yeah. too. But Walter Payton to me, I mean, that growing up, I mean, that was right before Jordan with the Bulls. So uh, growing up here in Chicago mm. area. So I'm going to say Walter Payton. Mm. Mm. Now you have Alex Caruso. So the, the next Jordan. Um, <laughs> question four. So uh, 
You played safety. I actually think this is a really difficult question. Who's the best safety in the NFL right now? Uh, it is a tough question because um, right? it is very hard. And I helped. Because corner, I go Ramsey, right. defense tackle. Like there's other positions I think I can pick it, edge rusher, Garrett, but safety. I'll put it to you two ways. I think the best safety right now in the NFL, um, I think it's Mega Fitzpatrick. I, I truly believe it's Mega Ooh. Fitzpatrick. Really? I, I think it's Mega Fitzpatrick. Wow. And I'll say this, the guys I like to watch the most, I think are right there are Tyron Matthew because he has natural yeah. playmaking traits that as a coach, I can't teach that stuff because he is so high level and Buda Baker. I love watching Buda Baker. I, the yeah. high school kids I, sh- I, I coach, I show them tape on Buda Baker because one, and obviously they don't have the talent of Buda Baker. Can they play like that with that urgency and that effort to the football? It is amazing. You talk about teaching tape. You can watch Buda Baker all day. You remember the Thursday night game they played against Seattle last year. I think it was Thursday night game last year <laughs> against Seattle. All too yeah. well. All too there was well. a play he made run in the alley. I think it was on a Carson, Chris Carson outside run. And he talked about flying oh, to the football. He laid him out. Yeah, but the speed getting there was amazing. You want to coach guys like that. But right now I do think it's Mika. Uh, I think Mika has the range, the ball skills, the football intelligence, plays physical, has enough coverage traits. He is a multi-dimensional defensive back, which you need in today's NFL. I, I just to Baker for a second. Like I, I'm a, I'm a Huskies fan. Mm-hmm. I don't really talk about it a ton. I love Bud Baker. I wanted Seattle to take him, even though they had Earl Thomas back then. But he is better than I thought he would be. He's I, I, I knew he had that physicality, right, mm-hmm. and the tackling and the hitting. But like the coverage has been, frankly, I when the when the Cardinals paid him that contract, I was like, ah, I don't know, you know, it's a lot right. high speed safety, and he has cleared my expectations. So. Props to him. Uh, great player. Super fun to watch. All right. Last question, as always, comes from Lenny, my co-host. Um, Lenny knows he's familiar with your work. He watched you play <laughs> in the NFL. Uh, and he just has one question. He wants to know if it's awkward seeing Keyshawn Johnson in the hallway because he beat you so badly so many times. He did. He smoked me. I, I don't know what, what it was. It was didn't matter where I was playing either. You know, it was in Green Bay or Washington. He got me. We were playing Tampa. Um, this is Coach Spurrier's last year in 03, and Keyshawn was lined up in the slot, and he ran a, what I call a sting route on me. The sting route is when you stem to the corner and break back to the post. Mm-hmm. I mean, he beat me by 15 yards. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. And, like, they show the highlights. You can't even see me. I mean, that's how bad he beat me. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, and I'm like, he's running the corner. I'm going to go make this big-time play uh, for his bad football team I play on, and no, no chance. And then when I was in Green Bay, we were playing at Tampa the year before. So this was 02. And he ran a dig route. I was in cover two. And I'm like, I know it's a dig route. And dig route is, you know, a square in at 15 yards. Yeah. And I'm going to drive down hell. I'm going to get this ball. Not even close. Not even close. But I will say, this was 2004, Monday night. We were playing at the Cowboys. And it's a game we came back and scored two touchdowns in the last, like, four minutes. Uh, Mark Brunel to Santana Moss in the same exact route. But to get after the first touchdown, we had this this cover seven we called it, Mina, and we call it a thumbs technique. So you stick up your thumb to like you're giving a thumbs up to the corner, and you would mm-hmm. show pressure, and then you drop out underneath the wide receiver. And Keyshawn ran it like a deep out at like twelve to fifteen, and I got underneath mm-hmm. it somehow. And Drew Bledsoe was playing quarterback, and somehow I got a hand on it. It wasn't because I was any good; it was because of the mm-hmm. scheme. But I finally made a play against him. I wasn't really covering him, <laughs> to be honest. I was underneath, but I finally made a play in a ball that was thrown to Keyshawn Johnson because I had a hard time <laughs> with him. I gave up a lot of explosive mm. points. 
Not good. So that's a yes. It is kind of awkward. Uh, 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 uh